Welcome, everyone, to the SNL recap here on Post Show Recaps. Bit of a different voice introducing the podcast. It's still Mike Bloom, but as we mentioned last week, Rich Tackenberg is away. He's actually uh, in New York right now. I don't believe he was able to uh, get a seat at the Franco Show. I have a feeling uh, Seth Rogen might have stolen those tickets out from under his nose. But we have a great guest to join us, uh, though this might be a little bit of a surprise to people who listen to the RHAP atmosphere because this guy is much more well-known for his opinions on reality television. He is an SNL fan and a good friend of mine. I'm so excited to bring him in to talk to him about this most recent episode with James Franco. Uh, let's consider him, I guess, the, the Mandy Franco because he just scored a bullseye on this podcast. Paul Osselson, welcome to the SNL Recap. Hey, yeah, that's right. I brought my darts. I hope this does turn into a bullseye. Um, you know, I'm running a little bit late from brunch here. So uh, I was, you know, had brunch with a few Gretchens before rolling up to, to talk to you. So thanks so much for having me on the podcast. This is, as you were saying, this is very outside of my realm in terms of what I podcast about. I'm very specific and I talk survivor and really skewed towards old school survivor. And then I talk about Julie Chen on Big Brother. So the fact that I'm sitting down to talk about Saturday Night Live for an hour is completely new to me. uh, But it also makes it pretty exciting to do something totally different. Yeah, this is completely outside of the Venn diagram of Paul's usual coverage. And we usually make a lot of jokes at Paul's expense about how, oh, he lives in Montana. He hasn't seen any television. He doesn't know what the 21st century lifestyle is. But as you said, you've been watching SNL and you've been following along with the recap. I'd love to hear from you just quickly before we even get into this episode, your brief history with the show and what you've been thinking about the season so far up to this point. Right. Well, before we hopped on here, I kind of went back to see like when exactly did I start watching Saturday Night Live? And we're the same around the same age. So it's not like I could have been watching it, you know, back in the 80s because I wasn't born yet. Um, But I think that when I really started watching very regularly has was season 33. So it's kind of crazy to look back at like, okay, a good 10 years of watching SNL every single Saturday or there were times where I didn't watch it right away and I got caught up with it. But I've been familiar with the show, I'd say probably for the last like 15, 16 16 seasons and then um, the past 10, 11 or so I've been really, you know, I, I watch every episode, but I am like the classic, like we talk a lot about in reality TV. We, we talk about viewers being casual viewers versus like, you know, the obsessive super fans. And I am 100% a casual SNL fan. I watch it every single week. And, but like when I hear you and Rich talk about things, cause I listen to you guys' show every, um, every time it comes out, I like, you guys will recall things and I'm like trying to think back and I'm like, wait, wait, when was that? And you have such a sharp memory with things so it's interesting like i i I usually judge how well an episode is going based on after it's over which skits am i going to pull up on youtube later to show my Mm. friends or my wife and those types of things so i kind of come at it i don't have a a background in comedy but i just have really enjoyed the show for a really long time so i'm coming at this with a, a very casual perspective um but as far as this season goes so far it's been very solidly fun um i don't have i don't think anything's been groundbreaking but i've been enjoying it pretty much every single week and this past episode was was the same for me i i've been enjoying it thoroughly Yeah, that's one reason why I wanted to bring you on as well is because Rich and I can uh, really get in the weeds, almost too in the weeds, if, you know, the the past two episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm is any indicator for all of you Curb fans out there. Sometimes being in the weeds too much, you miss out on the other plant life that's around you. So I think it's good to sort of bring in another perspective of someone who doesn't necessarily need to know, oh, yes, this is the last time that Kathy Ann appeared on the show. Just because, again, comedy is so subjective and it appeals to such a wide stream audience. I mean, also, Rich. Rich and I are both coastal people. Paul, you are, 
you know, middle, middle Western, America, baby, yeah, born and raised. So like, it's, it's going to be fun to sort of compare and contrast uh, how you felt about this episode in particular. Uh, I guess my overall thoughts about the episode, going back to the rankings that I usually do, I, I realized we're eight episodes in and I've, I've sort of sketched out some tiers of like the very good, the pretty good to okay and then the not good uh and it's a pretty good like three three two split so i would say that the top three are kumal nanjiani tiffany haddish and chance the rapper i would say the middle three are ryan gosling this week's episode james franco and saoirse ronan from last week and the bottom two are in my opinion are definitely larry david and gal gadot so that being said james franco is pretty much in the middle for me because i thought it was a pretty good episode nothing was really uproaringly funny for me but unlike last week there also weren't really any sketches at all where i was really scratching my head wondering how this made it out of the writer's room or the table read after monday i thought there was it was pretty consistent which i feel like is always hard to achieve uh you know in snl when you're trying to craft a a different set of sketches week after week but overall i greatly enjoyed it yeah, I'm glad you, you placed it right in the middle because that's definitely how I felt about it. As I was saying before, I kind of judge like what was, you know, if the episode was good based on how many, you know, skits would I rewatch or show other people. When this was over, there was nothing really that I was like, oh, okay, I have to, I have to show my wife this. Oh, I have to send this to my friend. Uh, I have to tell my brother to watch this. But there was nothing when, when I did the rewatch this morning. I, um, there was only like me one skit that I was like, okay, I'm not going to do this again. And I skipped over it. So it was very much enjoyable on the second time through. And if I'm ever sitting down with people and they're like, Hey, is there anything going on SNL? There are some skits in here. I probably would show if we were doing an SNL binge, just nothing that I'm going to make sure that I sent to someone. Yeah. Well, let's jump into the sketches themselves and I'll be intrigued to hear from you, Paul, which one specifically was the one you decided to skip over on a rewatch. Let's start with this cold open here which i was personally glad to see that it was still sort of politically oriented but we were not in the white house whether that meant it was yes. baldwin appearing or a member of the cabinet so those that have been listening to the podcast know that i was certainly grateful on paper for this idea that okay we're gonna say something but we're not going to involve the people at hand uh the sketch was about a santa in herald square being visited by kids uh, who are pretty much the wokest kids you've ever met uh, they're pretty much asking all these questions between starting off with Al Franken, getting into it to, you know, Roy Moore. Then we start using terms like libtards and feminazis by the end of it. Paul, what did you think about this cold open? Well, very much agree with your opinion on that. I was glad we didn't open up with the same old setting. It was like, oh, OK, what are we going to do with this? So it definitely had my attention. Um, I think obviously we'll talk about, you know, the execution of how this all worked out, because as these kids are coming up, I'm thinking like, well, obviously right away, you notice the kids like reading off the card like oh, right away. Yeah. Like that's like, I mean, they, but they, I, remember, they, I mean, they, they might as well. If they were like maybe if they played them off like blind kids, because, yeah, they did not look Keaton in the face whatsoever that entire time. And I remember my thoughts by about the third kid. I I was like, okay, well, you know, this probably is a good backup plan. Like these kids are doing okay, but you know, what if what if what if you know you got a kid up here that kind of froze on the spot? So it's probably good they have these, even though these kids are knocking it out of the park. And then uh, as soon as I thought that, it kind of uh, took a turn for the worse. Yeah, yeah, I believe what's the one point that Keenan like actually like encouraged like, you know, it's okay, it's okay that you flubbed your line because uh, I mean, there are current cast members that flubbed their lines as well. So really, the kids are on par with them. Right. 
Yeah, at least none of them like broke. None of the kids really broke too much during it, though. So. Which, yeah, which uh, which is a running theme throughout the course of this episode. But I, I enjoyed this. Uh, I think maybe it was because of just the pure comedy. I mean, that's why the Laura Parsons character that Vanessa Bear used to do on Weekend Update, even though it was sort of uh, much too rich's chagrin to use a spelling b word. Uh, it he didn't really enjoy the character. I liked it just because there's this fun theme of like here are kids coming in and like talking about things that they really shouldn't know about. I know there was like a sketch last year, I believe, where Vanessa Bayer was talking to kids after the election that was like in a very similar vein. So while these kids and I give all these kids the power in the world to go out there in front of live TV at such a young age and do this stuff, I thought they did a pretty good job to a really good job of delivering some of this stuff. But I mean, Keenan was such a great foundation of this sketch as well. I just loved his growing exasperation while you also have the woke elf of Amy played by Kate McKinnon sort of like serving as a, almost an encourager for these kids. And I thought there was a really like nice optimistic moment there at the end when the, they were talking to that last kid in a really fun moment where they did the live from New York. So I don't know. I, I, this might be like a hot take on my part. This might be my favorite cold open of the season so far. Again, that's not saying much, but like that's that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, no, it was totally, it was definitely fresh. It was fun. They kind of treated the kids like, you know, those cats and those cat sketches that you yeah. do with uh, Kate McKinnon when just like funnel them in and out. And sometimes they're jumping out of the box and not doing what they're supposed to be doing, but you just roll with it. So, um, yeah, no, very fun. And like you said, if I'm thinking for Rich, I definitely need to talk about, you know, the execution of how they, how they, you know, were screaming live from uh, New York. I thought that was very cool that that last girl who was super cute got to, uh, got to join in on that. So I agree, a really fun way to start off the night and really got the energy really high up there moving into this episode. And the high energy was perfect for the giggly James Franco coming back for his fourth time hosting. And cameos galore here paul little did we know that we'd just be dipping our toes into the water uh but we have in this monologue cameos it, we thought it was going to start off with a uh, questions from the audience type of monologue but it turned into a cameo from seth rogan then jonah hill and finally all the way up in the balcony mr steve martin making what seems like his now requisite like annual appearance on the show i believe last time he was on was the melissa mccarthy episode when he showed up quote unquote surprised her in the uh the the goodbyes with the five timers club jacket uh-huh. what do you think what do you think about the monologue well i feel like uh as far as i i know i feel all feel like all the tackenberg rules were followed in this episode in terms of mm-hmm. cameos right we were one and done with all these people yes which was very surprising you would think that all these especially seth rogan who works so close with franco would have appeared in something else but nope this is the first time i was actually a little surprised that you know the three of them hung out until the very end of it you know considering they appeared at eleven thirty-five and stayed all the way till one and change but yeah i think this was the only time they appeared in the entire show yeah, no, it was definitely fun. And I was just, you know, laughing to myself. One of the things I always, you know, learn from listening to you guys on this podcast is about how the monologue is that last thing that's thrown together. And the fact that he just spelled right out like, oh, and they actually didn't even give me a monologue to do. So I just kind of mm-hmm. answer questions. I kind of like that, like, you know, a little bit of meta there of, uh, yeah, this literally is just thrown together right now. Yeah. And I enjoyed I feel like the another trope, you know, even though they sort of undid the trope of the audience questions, it can also get a little tropey as well to have people come out and be like, don't worry, James, you're going to be a great host. They do that a lot with like first time hosts sometimes. But I think that the cameos all really worked. I mean, Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill and C. Martin are, are all very talented comedians and you can see it uh, considering that I'm still trying to figure out whether or not Seth Rogen 
what did purposely get lottery tickets to SNL or if he was just trying to blow off James Franco. But I like their back and forth. I like Jonah Hill's random cameo. Uh, he's skinny again, apparently. Yeah, that, that, I mean, you know, I'm not the movie buff here at all. And that, that took me way too long to figure out who the hell that was. Yeah, I mean, you you never know. But I, I also liked his line when he came in. of like, oh, sorry, I'm late. Did I miss SZA? But of course, I think the, the crowning cameo of this and maybe the entire night was Steve Martin in the balcony, just completely flustered beyond all belief and angry about uh, in his bitter old age about how he used to be up on that stage. And now he's nothing. Yeah, and that was just a cool visual to have him way up there around, you know, all the the fans just kind of surrounding him and kind of like in awe that they're going to be on, you know, on camera there. So I feel like they played that really well. Yeah, with all the plebs, uh, all the groundlings, except they're up in the air. Let's move on to our first sketch of the night here, dealing with sexual harassment. And essentially what this sketch is about is that uh, a company has fired, I think, their CFO and also a security guard. And essentially the joke of the sketch is that, uh, you know, they are pick, I'm going to say picking on, but they are calling out the CFO for using language that can come across as sexual harassment. Whereas the security guard, Charlie, apparently says much worse and gets away with it because everyone loves Charlie. What do you think of this? Well, you know, it's funny because I think the premise is definitely something that I can connect with. Like I can very much like picture in my head like, oh, yeah, I can see this happening, that certain people may be able to get away with more things than other people based on their age or, or what they look like or how their demeanor is or if they're more charismatic. But it just it was a little bit weird to me because I feel like in this current climate and everything that's going on, I feel like that's just totally not the case, that it's like literally all these different, you know, there's in the news you read about every day, there's some other new accusation and another new issue with some some man losing his job for all the inappropriate behavior. And it's really of all ages and backgrounds and those types of things. So I didn't really I, I kind of wonder what, how they jumped to that because it didn't that didn't like seem really recent to me. But I feel like this was fun. I'm glad it didn't last um, at first as it was going on. I'm like, is this going to be 28 minutes long? Just like uh, how long uh, oh, uh, no. Charlie <laughs> needs in the in the house or whatever, whatever that line wasn't there but i mean i feel like it kept momentum the whole time and i I never checked out during during the whole course of the skit yeah i agree with you that it's a very testy premise to go with especially as your first live sketch and understandably so i think it did draw some you know uh draw some negativity towards it on the internet because i think some people were saying that oh it implies that you know that harassment can be okay in certain environments but i could also understand as you're mentioning that there can sometimes be double standards of people saying like oh it can't be this person we love this person this sketch didn't really take off for me until oddly enough like basically once charlie got weirder like the first couple people were fine i was sort of getting the joke and then we get into charlie talking about how he wants to throw denise into the back of his el dorado drive to what his sister's house where she has a medical bed throw (laughs) all the windows open and then basically do the deed for 28 minutes i feel like once we elevated that and it got a little more absurd i feel like I feel like that I enjoyed that. And then I think like the straight people's reactions got even better with it too. You had AD Bryant just saying, thank you. Yeah. And then you had, you know, you, you had like, you had them call calling um, out the, uh, what was his character? Bo- oh, the boss was named Doug. I think calling yeah. out Doug and saying like, why do you have to make everything sexual? So yeah. I, I, I agree. I think it, I think it was fine for me, but I think they really did. It did build towards the end of the, the, the skit. So that was good. 
what did you think about the ending where Beck comes forward and says, actually, Charlie, you weren't even fired for sexual harassment. You were fired for all of these other things, including the first of many breaking moments when uh, I guess Beck flubbed the line about Keenan's van, Charlie's van being found outside of a brothel with his brother in the front seat. And the two of them uh, giggled just a tiny bit. But what did you think about the ending in general? Of like, oh, Charlie wasn't sexually harassing people at all. He actually did all these other things. I think it was an okay way to, to end to end things because it like kept building on this idea that he's just this crazy person, but yet kind of took us in a new direction where it kind of it stayed on topic with with allowing us to explore a little bit of a different um, storyline. So I was I was very much okay with it. All right, let's move on to the next sketch. Uh, this this Bloomingdale's rapping section it's been a while i feel like since we've had a genuine gross house gross out sketch and it was here in leaders quite literally as uh, james franco plays an employee who happens to to cut himself while wrapping up gifts but his chipper personality prevails even though he is bleeding everywhere you know they like once it started like once i don't know how many seconds we were into it not that many and already there's blood shooting out of his finger i was a little concerned of like okay where is this gonna go are we gonna be able to keep it but if it wasn't you know it wasn't the lines in it that much that kept it going it was totally james franco's performance and the energy of it that carried it to the end of that skit because that was i felt like it was really bold to get that graphic so early on yeah, and I, I wonder sort of where this might have existed. Maybe this was a, a one that got like bumped up from dress because I remember I think there was like an acupuncture puncture sketch a few years ago with a very similar thing where like they stuck needles in the wrong part of a guy's uh-huh. back and there was just geysers of blood yes. everywhere. And that, and that got saved to the end of the show probably just because of its graphic content. But here, I mean, yeah, he was going through, as Kate points out, like much more than eight pints of blood. But I think what buoyed it, I totally agree, is franco's overall energy and chipperness but i think it also helps that he was a chipper character because there was so much breaking going on and i don't think it played on the show but it was confirmed on social media that you know james character tries to like put pressure on it by putting his finger in his mouth then when keenan and leslie approach james does a spit take and what happened Uh was he spit the fake blood into leslie jones mouth and leslie jones actually like threw up in her mouth and so when you see her so when you see her like turn away and go off camera like she's about to puke her guts out and (laughs) like which would have been probably the most insane thing that has happened in snl in quite some time and so when you see everything kind of fall apart and they're all talking over each other and laughing that's why (laughs) well well that's great because obviously obviously one of the the things i was going to praise about this was that i love that the more we see Leslie, the more she's not always the same note character. And I felt like, oh, this is like totally a new Leslie here. She's like legitimately grossed out. And that was like super funny. So that's uh, it's interesting to see what her demeanor would have been like had that not happened. Exactly how she was supposed to play, play off of that hole. Because I feel like she would just be like way angrier and like screaming oh, yeah. at him and yelling and everything, you know. But I thought it was I thought it worked. Yeah, hopefully Lauren doesn't use this as an excuse to, like, try the method approach on her and actually put her in bad situations to get a a reaction out of her. Because, yeah, it definitely got chaotic. And, yes, it was so chintzy between, like, the telegraph chopping off the fingers. I mean, when he brought that leg up, like, the foot was already detached. already severed, yeah. So it was, like, it was totally in shambles. But that's sort of the stuff that I love about SNL sometimes is that due to the fact that it is a live show and there's sort of that kinetic energy pumping throughout, much like James 
is Franco's heart was pumping out all that blood. Uh, I, I think it really carried that sketch along when ordinarily it, it might have dragged. Well, and that visual with the, when he goes to grab the candy cane and oh. it just like the, the jar just fills up with blood. That was great. I mean, I just love how it's just like literally every inch of that set was just getting covered as he's pointing to everything. Um, and then the, there were some little funny lines there that I noticed even more upon uh, watching it again. I love the, you know, his, his making the that's what she said joke about the tip. <laughs> what was the joke about the foot? I feel like he was trying to make a joke about being. Yeah, he tried to make a that's what she said joke about like, oh, no, my the foot came off. That's what she said, <laughs> which is very right. clear that he's lost a lot of blood at this point. Yeah, I, I love the little line about the blood thinners in there. Yeah. If he was on blood thinners. And, you know, I, it, I think it was just great because he could break and laugh and just be kind of over the top because that was the character they had set up that he just was like so crazy for Christmas. Kind of like this elf character that's just like nuts over Christmas that he could be just totally goofy and silly. And you don't feel like it's a total break because it's also half halfway his like eccentric christmas character yeah and also we should say this was a very christmas themed episode i would say unlike last week they really have started to steer into the christmas curve which is very prevalent in this next sketch our first pre-tape of the night scrudge i guess is the name of the character uh, essentially yes. what it is it's a, it's a takeoff on what if ebenezer scrooge sort of existed in our modern day environment and essentially he goes with his roommate to a christmas party and acts like an asshole uh, we think he receives some divine guidance from a guy smoking on a roof but it turns out he still ends up being an asshole quite literally by the end of it what do you think about this um you know there were parts of it that i liked i mean for me, sometimes it was hard to get exactly what the whole joke was because some of the things that I actually laughed at more were, I think, just kind of like subtle things that were thrown in to be like, oh, it's funny to think about the Scrooge character talking about Insta stories or him talking about getting faded. And so that element, like I laughed at too, but then like it also was his interactions, the fact that he just was an a-hole to all these people. So it was kind of like I was tugging back and forth between those two things. So there are definitely parts of it that I really laughed at, but I don't know. I'm not sure how it all worked together as a full piece. What were your thoughts um, on this one? Yeah, I think that I agree that the anachronisms, I think, were what sort of kept the character going along by being like, oh, it's wouldn't it be funny if Beck Bennett dressed in like, you know, sideburns and a top hat said, I can't even, which was funny to a certain extent. I'll again go back to my stump that I think Beck Bennett is the best performer in the pre-tape sketches now that Vanessa Bayer is gone. I think he was able to pull it off i would say reasonably well there were a fun little asshole barbs in there i liked when he was going through heidi gardner's dvds just like oh yeah you like the life aquatic let me guess you like the soundtracks too because you and your friends suck like there were some fun little (laughs) barbs in there and i was wondering when we got to james franco on the roof if we were gonna get a sort of like christmas carol it seems like this season on snl i'm i'm never gonna be satisfied with a christmas carol parody because they're never gonna finish it all the way through because i guess we get like sort of a ghost here in james franco uh and him you know looking down and seeing that everyone was was talking uh not so nice about him and i felt like uh the guy turning into the angel was also very reminiscent of uh saoirse ronan's character being a ghost because i'm assuming this is another good neighbor sketch considering that Ben yeah. and kyle are featured so prominently and I, again, it was a nice little subverting of the Christmas Carol ending with him coming through and being like, I have a changed man and he really is not. So I wouldn't say I loved this sketch, but I thought it had a pretty good execution, particularly from Beck Bennett. 
Yeah. And I'll say another kind of subtle MVP that I really enjoyed was a a person on the show who I'm just loving more and more this season is Heidi Gardner and just her reactions. She hardly said anything in this pre-tape, but just like Scrooge being an a-hole to her and just her like face of just being like, thanks. And just kind of looking at him. I thought she was, was very good in the, in the tape as well. Yeah. This was a pretty good episode for Heidi Gardner. She's going to make quite a number of appearances, which is good. Cause I, I don't think she really appeared in a lot last week to the point of where rich forgot that she was in the welcome to hell video. So I'm happy that she's getting some more time for herself. Right. I know. I'm, I was glad you, I was like listening to that. I was like, as soon as he said that, I was like, no, she was, she was. So then I was glad that you could, you know, jump in there to set the record straight. Well, let's move on to our next sketch, the Iowa City Spelling Bee, where it's a spelling bee with kids. And these are actually the SNL ensemble, not kids this time. But the uh, the onus of the sketch is that James Franco is the moderator, but he decides to tie every word back to his own depraved life. What do you think about this one? <laughs> Well, I want to get your take on this, just like in, I mean, you, you know, all the comedy terms and the writing terms and all this kind of stuff, like watching it, I was like confused at how it came to be that you have these two like commentators that are also in this, like, I, do, do you think like they wrote the skit and it was like, okay, we actually need some external commentary to, to highlight some of the things that are going on here. Did it start with, okay, let's have people that are um com you know that have this radio show and they're going to be giving a live you know breakdown of the spelling bee and then they get this ridiculous spelling bee those two pieces felt a little disjointed to me um it definitely i i laughed a lot in this as it got more and more ridiculous but uh, structurally i'd be curious to know what your thoughts are on how this played out it's a good question and again this might be me backseat comedy writing but here's a couple thoughts i have about it B, you go back to, as you mentioned before, the sort of straight man, crazy man relationship. When you do just James Franco and the kids, you don't really have a straight man there to react to things, to even say like, wow, that's weird. He shouldn't be using those words like that. That's very unprofessional. And so I feel like you might need to cut back to them if only for that to sort of get an objective perspective and say this is not right. And then it also ties into what we sometimes call like a sub game. If the game of this scene is Franco is using these words to sort of personify his own life. The sub game is, for example, Alex Moffat's character not really knowing anything about reading or spelling, which I thought was fun. I thought that was a, like a nice little thing that they peppered in uh, throughout the course of the sketch. But yeah, I do agree. It could be a little bit of a, mom- a momentum killer sometimes to like do a couple kids cut back to them for a couple lines. They weren't exactly again outside of the Alex Moffat stuff. They weren't doing that funny reactions to it. So I could understand where you're coming from, where it might have been smoother and more concise if they just had Franco and the kids. Well, and that makes sense now that you explain it, because I think maybe a more traditional setup of this would maybe this would be going on and we're cutting to the audience and there's, you know, mm. the audience reactions. Yeah, to sort, sort of like what they here. used to do with the uh, the high school drama show where they used to right. have like Vanessa and Keenan as the audience members. Right, right. Yeah, so I, th- I thought this was fun. I thought it was, you know, as the words got more ridiculous and um, his, you know, backstory and all, the, you know, his uh, transition from uh, adolescent to um, uh, what's the term? Urophiliac. Uh, yes. Um, and then eventually to the little pig boy. I thought it was just like over the top and a lot of fun. And obviously he was having a lot of fun with it, too. So I don't have too many complaints about this one. I thought this one was fun on both times that I watched it. Yeah, this might be my favorite sketch. And again, it was not necessarily a home run, but it was just so much fun. I was in a very weird place when this started of like, okay, why is this guy relating everything to his life? Is this going to become like a willy scenario where every word is just talking about how miserable his life is? But once we got into like the urophiliac part, 
things really took a left turn, but by far my favorite part was Little Pig Boy. Uh, just because, why would you have that as a spelling bee word? And for some <laughs> it's not even reason, a word, it's three words. It's three words, and for some reason I just loved Pete asking for country of origin, and then him replying, <laughs> Little Pig Boy comes from the dirt. It's just, yes. it's, it got so weird. But I also will, like, nitpick a bit. I, I haven't watched spelling bees in a long time, but I'm pretty sure it's weird to, like, ask for a sentence before you ask for a definition, right? When you're doing a spelling bee? Yeah, I think so. I, I wouldn't know. You know, I was like really big into I was I did the geography bee in elementary school and middle school. And that was like my main passion. But I did do the spelling bee for a couple rounds. But I uh, was eliminated second round both times. First time having to spell the word volcano, which I spelled V-A-L-C-A-N-O. Oh, I was out. <laughs> that O-A always mixed me up. So uh, uh, sixth grade comes around. I'm not going to repeat the same mistake. Your word, Paul. Bonanza, B-A-N-A-N-C-A, you're out. So, uh, you know, all I could think about were those kind of uh, those bad feelings that came back to me. So I wasn't thinking too much about how they how spelling bees actually run because I didn't get that far into the competition. But I think I think you're right about that. Well, let's uh, move on to our musical guest, SZA, S-Z-A, or as you might spell it, S-Z-O, Paul. Uh, I mean, I'm going to assume the answer to this question. But just in case, did you know anything about SZA going into this episode? Why would you assume that I didn't know that much about her? <laughs> Just a guess. <laughs> Just a guess. You know, um, nope, didn't know much about her. Um, I sat, I did not fast forward through any of it because I knew I was going to be on this podcast. I felt her first performance was very easy to listen to. And, um, you know, it was fine. I don't think I'd ever choose that for myself to listen to. Second one, it was a little more like irritating to my ear. Um, but obviously, I think she's very talented. She's like my age born in the same year as I am. So like, I always think that's kind of cool when there's someone who's exactly your same age. So uh, good for her, but um, I, I won't be downloading her album uh, anytime soon. Yeah. I thought she has a really great voice. And I feel like, again, I, I go back to this, but these performers that like don't do much, you're not you two walking around with a megaphone, but you're able to like still captivate people, but just by standing there with your stage presence. I liked her first song in particular, because you have like, the gospel choir and you have these women on a clarinet and a flute and like a flugelhorn and for some reason a bunch of computer monitors everywhere oh yes uh, i did write that down <laughs> now i'm not entirely sure what uh, was going on there but I, I liked both of her outfits as well it was a nice like green dress with a fur trim for the first song in honor of the holiday the second one was like a yellow dress made out of like a jacket like material like some sports jacket type thing yeah like like a letterman's jacket yeah, that was that was interesting, too. So, uh, no, I mean, it was fine. I always do. I am someone who usually does give the musical guest a chance. And there there have been a lot of great musical moments over the years watching SNL that I've always really appreciated. Um, anyone who knows me very well knows that um, I well, I still am. But I was back in college to a huge Lady Gaga fanatic. And one of my favorite like Lady Gaga moments of all time is when she's on SNL. And that's the first time she plays Bad Romance. She plays just the chorus of it. She sits down at the piano. She's doing kind of a medley. And that's when that song is introduced to me. So um, I, I do really, um, you know, appreciate the musical additions that we get in SNL. But this one wasn't anything um, of particular a note for me. And just saying, this was the first time you heard SZA perform The Weeknd and Love Galore because you had never heard of her before. Exactly. So, you know, 10 years from now, I'll be uh, talking about this moment. All right, let's move on to Weekend Update. Overall, Paul, what are your thoughts about these? Again, since you've been watching over the past 10 years or so, you've been through the, you know, 
Jimmy Fallon, Tina Fey, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Amy Poehler, Seth Meyers, Seth Meyers by himself, Colin Joe, Cecily Strong. What do you think about this Jost and Che combo? I feel like I've been very much um, in agreement with this podcast, and it kind of seems like the general like population that it took a long time for them to find their groove. I was not a huge fan of these two together for a long time, and it was always kind of hard to like figure out exactly why because I like them both individually, but it really did take a long time for me to really buy into it and for them to find their groove. I think this season is by far the best they have done uh, together, and. Um, you know, this episode in particular, it was a lot of political stuff. And, you know, we only get one um, correspondent and then we get this tape piece that we'll talk about. But I felt like it was solid. There was nothing that I was like, oh, I have to write that down. That's so funny. I want to repeat that joke. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I mean, I feel like they're in their groove. They know what they're doing and, and they're taking more risks with things now. And now they know for sure what works. And I hope they continue to get even stronger together. Yeah, I agree with this one in particular. It was solid i didn't think anything really bombed but at the same time there wasn't really anything that i loved as much as i did the past couple weeks so i think they're still on a good streak but maybe a little bit of a tick down from where uh they usually were but as you said it was very even more so than usual very politically focused commentary i mean chase starts with this run about uh trump's uh, israel decision with moving the the capital and then you have che going on what i thought was a really fun run about how he calls he basically compares like the democrats to the harvard football team about how you set your standards so high that you're going to end up losing at the end of the day uh there was also interestingly enough like a rare joke about eric trump which is weird considering that the eric trump character exists You know, like I wonder how how they would have been able to maybe incorporate that character in. But it's sort of interesting for SNL to almost acknowledge their own characterization of Eric Trump within their joke. And just, you know, the 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 uh, wordplay lover in me did like the R. Kelly was pissed joke. Yeah, no, it was all like you said, nothing bombed and nothing was spectacular. So um, it was it was fine. A lot of political stuff. But um I uh, definitely was not as excited when we get our first uh, our first correspondent here. All right. Well, yeah. Give me your thoughts on Kathy Ann overall. <sighs> oh, wait, what's the line? <laughs> oh, forgot oh. the line. Look at your cue cards, kid. <laughs> uh, let me read it here. Oh, boy. So I was, I, I was told I have to say that at least once. Yeah, it was OK for it actually for a Kathy Ann appearance it actually was probably better than what i was anticipating i don't know if it was because sometimes when she comes on then i kind of like tune out and like don't listen as much like maybe i was giving it more of a fair shake this time but i'm just like it comes i i feel like it comes she comes on and i'm just like there's nothing new here and there's nothing that's gonna surprise me and i just i've seen it before and i really like cecily and i really like a lot of her characters but this one i just like it just doesn't do anything for me yeah, I mean, I think she had that big pop after, I think it was in December, actually around a year ago, when she like actually makes uh, her character actually like sounds surprisingly rational when talking about like the KKK and the Pizzagate and all that stuff, where she was able to sort of live in that craziness and sort of explain the rationality behind everything. But maybe because of that moment, they thought, okay, now we can keep going back to this well. But unfortunately, it hasn't played as well as it did that one time i know that in particular at the end of this she was trying to sort of make a statement about things but it wasn't playing as well to me i mean i do like the malapropisms that she uses like a flying foot and talking about al franco but not too much here again especially much like i was talking about with che and jost especially compared to correspondence we've had the past couple of weeks this was not necessarily a big hit for me 
No, I don't know. It's it's I, I just I've seen enough of Kathy Ann. There's nothing new there. There's nothing that that fun for me there. So, um, you know, she can uh, she can move on. Well, I well, she might not move on considering that she is apparently engaged to Michael Che by the end of all this. Oh, right. I know. So I guess maybe there'll be something new there. That was kind of a. Uh, a odd way to end that little interaction because yeah, like i think the stefan seth myers thing makes a lot more sense right because they've had much more interplay we've seen kathy ann a good handful of times but nothing about her chemistry with che really precluded right. like oh it makes sense that she's engaged to michael che right if, if you told me for this episode who does she normally talk to i'd have to think for a second like i don't i don't know which one she normally talks to well speaking of michael che let's talk about this white woman named gretchen a very 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 rare instance of a pre-tape going in in a weekend update sketch now there's been a lot of comparisons uh from this to eddie murphy's pretty uh groundbreaking white like me video that he made back when he was big on snl in the early 80s paul i'm not sure if if you knew about the original source material but whether you did or not how did you feel about this as an overall package yeah, no, I am not familiar with that. Um, I thought I, I enjoyed it. I like wonder, I feel like that could have been put in at any other time in the show. Um, so I'm wondering, was there any kind of that they didn't feel confident in other um, other correspondence? Um, I feel like that could have been worked in somewhere else because I don't feel like there wasn't that much commentary about it that linked it directly to have to be. Um, that we can update aside from the fact that it's, you know, featuring one of the two correspondents. But um, I liked it. I mean, I think like the idea itself has been played out quite a bit already about, you know, um, privileged white girls and what they think and what they do. And um, I, but I thought the execution of it was fun. I was kind of like waiting all the time for what's coming next, what's coming next. I thought there were some good lines in there. And I don't know the performance held up for me. And on a second watch, it was it was equally as fun. So what was your reaction to it? I wonder if they decided to keep this here because I feel like they only really save the like SNL meta things for the Kyle and Leslie pre-tapes. And I wonder if like if they put it out of this and it just doesn't feel necessarily in place. And then you can actually have Chase sort of intro this by saying, hey, I've been getting, you know, a lot of mail from liberal white females. So I decided to go undercover and see what things were like. I think what I enjoyed about this, what really made the pre-tape for me was how everyone else reacted, which was that they totally bought into it. I mean, at first I was a little confused because when he's at when or I guess when Gretchen is at brunch with like Heidi and AD Bryant, I wasn't sure if he was having brunch with Heidi and AD Bryant or these other characters. I guess it was other characters that were completely separated from them. Uh, but I mean, I thought Michael Che, it's sort of like what we were talking about with uh, the Scrudge sketch of like, it, there's there's humor you can mine out of like him saying, hold my Warbies or word to Lululemon, you know, sort of bringing in his Che attitude towards some of these more white liberal things. I mean, I would say this is also a good attempt on SNL to uh, attack the recent uh, notion that they have been one-sided and not necessarily shooting at both sides of the aisle. And I, I think that maybe my favorite part was them all sitting around the table and you have Chris Red just looking at Gretchen yes. saying like, Michael Che is like, Michael no, che? no, that's yes. Gretchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was my favorite part for sure, too. So, um, yeah, no, I agree with everything you said about this. All right, well, let's move on to the back half of this episode. We go to court here and... <laughs> I mean, this is nothing really more than just three minutes, Paul, of James Franco saying lasagna, za, pizza, sa, over and over and over again. 
I couldn't watch this one again, Mike. I think watching it the first time, it was fine. And like once I got the joke, it was like, okay. But then to restart it and then being like, hey, I know where this is going. And I know there's not really that much of a payoff in the end for this. I don't really want to sit through this. So um, it was fine the first time, but definitely nothing that I really care that much about. Yeah, I mean, I I liked it. I, I maybe it's just because I got a lot of like goofy enjoyment out of how committed James Franco was again for being such a usual laid back persona. He was so vehemently convinced and angry and confident at this distinction between no, when you say za, you're referring to lasagna, not pizza. I liked uh, his also, I think he said something about like you make nicknames out of how they sound, not how they're spelled. And maybe it was just the repetition. I know that, uh, our friend Mario Lanza always likes to quote Andy Kaufman when he's talking about with comedy how things can get when you repeat things over and over again they almost go through the cyclical period where they get so fu- they get so unfunny but you keep doing it enough it's going to come around back to being funny that's sort of what happened with me here even though it was sort of a very weird ending where oh the judge immediately declares him guilty and oh it turns out that the lawyer had this incriminating evidence the entire time and decided not to show it because pizza was really like his star witness in a manner of speaking so even though the the premise was a little half half baked much like you know a bad piece of suh i thought james franco's performance at least buoyed this for me yeah no i agree he was like all in on it and he didn't you know like rich said he didn't just you know cop out at the end and and you know start laughing on purpose just to you know to save the to save the sketch so i can appreciate that and it's also funny that it's like kind of a thing that that i talk about a lot or think about a lot with with the the shortening of pizza because one um another show that's not a reality show i watch mike is uh, parks and rec Ooh. and um you know there's ben white in there you know talk when he's trying to be cool he always calls pizza zaw and that's kind of the first like memory i have of of hearing that so that's something that you you know, my wife and I will still joke about every now and then about ordering some za. And then on the other side of that, um, I'm a German teacher. And one of the things that we when you're teaching German is that the Z in German makes a TS sound like it's so I always like for kids that just like cannot get that. I'm like, do you say pizza or do you say pizza? It's a TS sound, not a Z sound. So like I've like used that word a lot in my teaching. So it was kind of funny that you know, I had those two memories associated with with this premise. Maybe that's why you want to skip past it, because it's so ingrained in your everyday life that you don't want to remind yourself of the work you do. Yes, I say that enough, you know, at my job. I I want to be able to relax and just watch SNL without thinking about, you know, German linguistics. So we go to another pre-tape here called Christmas Charity, where Cecily plays this typical overworked, you know, nose to the grindstone type of woman who decides to do something nice for a homeless man. She dresses him up and takes him out of the town only to be revealed that it's actually James Franco the entire time. She probably kicks him out before uh, he makes a disaster artist plug at the very end. What do you think about this one? Um, you know, pairing this. Well, yeah, th- no, this this was one of the weakest um, for me of the night. Watching it through the first time was fine. Second time, I didn't enjoy it as much. A couple moments of it really made me laugh. The her just totally chucking her phone out of the carriage um, and just, you know, smashing to the ground. I I laughed out loud at that. And the actual reveal at the end of that, no, it it really is just James Franco. Like that was funny, but there was so much in between that I didn't find particularly funny and it was kind of fun. So I was not really, you know, mesmerized by this. 
Yeah, starting off, it was very, actually, I would call it pretty sweet. And I had a lot of um, assumptions in my head at that point because I believe the last time Franco had ho- had hosted, um, Mike O'Brien, who I believe is now officially off the writing staff. I know he made a couple of guest appearances in the past couple of years to write some stuff. He did the Grow a Guy sketch, which was not funny but was really well made so like when you get this really sweet music in these moments between these two i'm like oh okay maybe we're sort of going in this direction of like more emotional than outright funny and i would say i like the reveal on paper but i don't know i kind of wish that we had done more before it got up to that point like you know what if they had like gone on a vacation together like what if this charade continued for like a month or even like six months before he finally she tries to shave him and he finally reveals that he's James Franco the entire time, you know, because then when you have the sort of falling action from the climax, it's a little tepid to just be like, oh, I spent fifteen hundred dollars on you. Oh, I chucked my phone out of the carrot. He's like, yep, you did. That sucks. OK, bye. And it felt like there should have been bigger stakes and like more to just sort of like wrap your head around it's like i did all of this stuff and it was just for james franco the entire time it it didn't get to necessarily and maybe as absurd of a level as i wanted it to yeah no the the premise was fine but i totally agree that there was way more room to flush things out with this so um yeah mary Mary, what'd she say to what she said the assistant she's like yeah okay merry christmas to you too yeah exactly were you surprised that the disaster artist only had a pl- well has a, a plug in the nest sets as well but they saved it until like twelve forty-five at night on the east coast to plug the movie um yes and i, I watched it um live here on uh in the mountain time too so it was a little bit earlier than that but yeah yeah it, it, I guess that was that was like a strange choice i guess because it's his, it's his main project. You expect sometimes that, like, when people come out, they're like, hey, I was just in... I mean, I think Saoirse Ronan even did this last week, where she's like, I was just in this movie, Lady Bird. Like, you would expect Franco to plug it a little bit, but maybe they just showed enough disaster artist commercials where people were watching it live that uh, it played off in that regard. But speaking of Franco, we get Franco's galore here in our last sketch, the Franco family reunion. I'll admit here, I don't know if you remember the sketch, Paul. Back when Christopher Walken hosted, almost 10 years ago, there was a Walken family reunion sketch where everyone acted like christopher walken and tries to do their best impressions i thought for a second that it was gonna go in that direction when he said franco family reunion but no it turns out heidi garner just comes out as a cousin mandy who is going to admonish james franco for being in what she calls bad movies that's pretty mandy to you mike yes well that's the name of the drink (laughs) yes right which what's in it just gin gin and a straw Oh, and a straw, too. I love this. This is, I think, what Rich would say about this is this is exactly the kind of stuff you want, you know, with five minutes left in the show of totally goofy, totally out there. I thought this character was so bizarre. I feel like they were both so committed to this. I I found myself laughing at some of the stupidest lines in there about asking about, you know, they're catching up when she's asking him about, do they, do you still swim? Do you still eat candy? Is is Danny still your brother? <laughs> and him just kind of going with it. Yep, yep. And then I just love the turn about, you know, uh, she's meaning to ask him something. <laughs> He's assuming she's asking for money. And then, like, she's trying to give him money and trying to help him out. Uh, I thought the whole thing was so stupid. But this will be the one that I'll send to my sister-in-law and be like, hey, watch this. This is something that we can be uh, quoting for, uh, you know, for months to come now. Yeah, I wasn't able to get on board with this sketch, and I I totally hear what you're saying, and I do agree that, like, I liked the premise of this sketch, maybe just because Mandy was such an odd character. 
like I think Amy the audience was like hesitant to get on board with her starting off but I think once they actually got into things I feel like the strongest part might have been once they like I, I don't know ne- need to necessarily go to oh I I scored a bullseye at quickies now that's my big achievement for the week like I want to get back to her explaining why he's been doing bad movies I feel like they could have gone more with that POV you know they mentioned the interview uh and they mentioned you know the disaster artist but I kind of wish they had had more opportunities to sort of go after why she thinks James Franco is if she was like oh 127 hours well you just stood there the whole time you know if you sort of went in there from more of that character's perspective maybe i would have gone on board with it more but i mean i'll say again like heidi gardner even though i have not been like a huge favorite of things that she's been doing i'm so glad they're giving her these opportunities because as we saw last week with luke poor luke null if you do give a feature player an opportunity to do something sometimes they can fall completely flat on their face Right, exactly. Well, and I think like you know, what you're kind of hinting at here too is like the problem with her is like we have no story of who this cousin Mandy really is. Like why? Like why is she so weird or where exactly is she from and stuff? But this definitely would be a character I'd be intrigued to see again interact with someone else and uh, see if we can learn out more about, you know, about pretty uh, pretty cousin Mandy. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to the good nights here. Paul, oh, and the talk- cameo at the end, right? Oh, yes, yeah, so let's talk about the cameo, too. Dave Franco comes out. Uh, I was... I would totally was going to think Dave Franco would make a cameo, but I did not expect it to be the very last sketch. But here comes Dave Franco coming out. He's even more giggly than his brother. But uh, I will say I I did like the fact that he was on the same page as Mandy and that he was totally in on like the weirdness and admiring her bullseye and all that. And he says something about you still look hot or whatever he said about her. I can't remember. It was uh, that was funny. I like that. All right. Well, now let's get to the good nights here. Paul, in true rich sub fashion, I know you said that you uh, tried to muster up a couple, a couple of notes on the good nights, right? I, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm sorry, Rich. I'm not doing this job justice at all. But as the um, as the credits are rolling, my wife's like, oh, you're going to be on that show. You need to start watching what they're doing right now. So then like I was like trying to come up with some stuff here. I think the most notable thing uh, that we saw in these in the good nights was um, James and SZA talking for a very long time that kind of like stole all my attention. Um, they just really were like kind of, uh, you know, holding hands or like kind of like, you know, giving to their half hug and just like really having this intense conversation. But, uh, aside from that, I, it seemed like the mood was good and I bet everyone's excited for, you know, one more final show before, uh, before they finish off for 2017. One other random miscellaneous fact that I, I wasn't able to mention during our course of discussing the episode proper, but I feel like should be in here. A pretty staggering fact that I saw on the Live from New York subreddit. This is the first time since March 18th, 2000, where there has not been one impression done by a cast member or a host in an episode. It's crazy to think about that. In basically every single episode in the 21st century so far, there's been an impression in some sort of way, shape, or form, but... This is the first time to sort of break that streak. And maybe that's because they've like had uh, some big impressionists on in the past, like Jay Farrow and Daryl Hammond. But even like you have a great impressionist like Melissa Villasenor, and she didn't do any impressions this episode. Maybe it's because James Franco can't do any impressions himself, but still pretty staggering. Yeah, no, that is that's a very interesting fact. All right, so we look ahead to, as you mentioned, Paul, the last episode of 2017, the Christmas episode hosted by Kevin Hart, 
with musical guest the Foo Fighters. Now, I'll admit here, Paul, you know, again, I pegged James Franco as being the Christmas host because this will be his fourth time. You know, he seems very chummy with the cast and everything. Kevin Hart, a little bit out of left field for me. Yeah, when was the last time he was on? Not that long ago. Yeah, he wasn't on that. I feel like he was on a couple of years ago, but I don't feel like he's as much of like a staple of I mean Franco isn't really a staple Saturday Night Live host either but he's Kevin Hart is definitely not the first person I go to when I think of someone to host the Christmas special right you're not like okay holiday fun who's going to be able to do this all let's throw Kevin Hart in there so I don't know I feel like I have positive memories of him on the show in the past so I'm going to be excited for that so um, we'll see what that brings. And it, it's funny to me that the Foo Fighters are going to be on because they were performing in uh, the town in Montana where I live, or I guess city where I live. They were in Billings, Montana last night. So, like, everyone in the state was uh, in Billings, Montana to watch the Foo Fighters. And uh, now they jet off to New York to get uh, ready for SNL next week. Yeah, it's really the two big beacons of the United States, Billings, Montana and New York City. Right. So the magic city of we're called the magic city of Billings, Montana, then to, uh, you know, um, you know, go to Manhattan. Nice. And uh, I know Johnny DeSilvera asked us on Twitter, what are the chances of a rock cameo? I would also make, I don't want to make a bold assumption, but I would assume that had the rock not hosted the season finale last year, I think he would be a shoe in to do the Christmas episode. But what do you think the chances are, Paul, that since the rock has done a couple of movies with Kevin Hart, including the one that I'm assuming he's promoting here, the Jumanji sequel. Jumanji. Yeah. yeah do, you, I, do you think he's going to make a cameo here? Yes. I think we will see some rock for sure. I think All we will right. be smelling what he's cooking. Well, we got The Rock next week. We got SZA this past week. So we'll see if any paper happens to come out uh, once we reach 2018. Yes, that'd be a good lineup there. You know, set of three. Well, thank you, Paul, so, so much for coming on and filling Rich's shoes. I know it can be very tough to do, but I, I had a lot of fun getting to, to gab about this episode of SNL with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Like I said, I I part of my like weekly uh snl like experiences i like to finish the show and then usually my routine is monday morning i don't know if i'm gonna want to listen to myself now talk about it because i just you know did this for this past hour but part of my monday routine after an snl week is to turn you guys on and um that's what i listen to as i drive to work and stuff and it kind of helps me like think about the episode and and decide what i'm gonna go back and rewatch and stuff so um i hope i uh, held down the fort okay and i'll be excited to hear you guys um you know talk about the christmas episode next week yeah, definitely. Uh, thank you so much. So yeah, Rich will be back. We'll we'll gab about the end of uh, 2017. We'll definitely get his thoughts on this James Franco episode as well. Uh, Paul, for people who want to find you on social media, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter. It's just at Paul Oslison, which is P-A-U-L-A-S-L-E-S-O-N. And you can find me at a Mike Bloom type. If you want to check out some other podcast stuff that Paul is doing as well, uh, for you Survivor fans, I've been doing a podcast over on the Rob Has a Podcast main network called the RHAP BNB. Paul was on there as a sub this past week, and he'll be on next week as well. So be sure to check that out. Let it, Paul and me and even Rich know your thoughts about this most recent episode, what you liked, what you didn't like, what you're expecting from Te Kevin Hart, and much, much more. Let's keep this conversation going throughout the next week as we get to December 16th and summarily thereafter our podcast covering it. But that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Paul, again, thank you so, so much for coming on. Thank you all for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.